Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Nearing the Major League All-Star break, we welcome you into the 117th episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. I'm Tyler Mon. He's Sam Dykstra. What's going on, Sam? Uh, not too much. Just really looking forward to this weekend, personally. Um, I will be in Miami for oh, the Futures game. Very us. quick trip. Mr. Yeah. Bourgeois over here with his Miami yeah, well, trips. I, I mean, I'm, I'm breezing in on Saturday and breezing out on Monday, so not, okay. That'd be fun. not nearly long enough to catch the, the home run derby or anything that everybody else is going to be focused on in the early part of the week. But I will be there for the Futures game, which is going to be super exciting this year. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, also, first trip to Miami, um, which which should be interesting. Got to say it now. First, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, but also my first trip to any type of all-star game. Uh, well, any type of uh, major league all-star game. Very cool. Uh, I was at the New York Penn League all-star game, and I've been at, obviously, other all-star games. But um, just to take in the festivities of that, I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we are going to dive into the Futures game here coming up shortly. But before we get to that, thanks for tuning into the show before the show podcast. We are now on the Google Play app as well as iTunes and Stitcher and a whole bunch of other places where you can find your podcast as well. As at MILB.com slash podcast, you can catch up on past episodes there. You can hear us talk to... You know, dudes making a big impact at the major league level, like, oh, say, Cody Bellinger, who is a freak of nature, but joined the podcast last fall from the Arizona Fall League. Guys who are making big headlines this year in Major League Baseball. Chances are, are decent that we talked to them while they were stars in minor league baseball. You can catch up on all of our past episodes there. And you can get in touch with the show as well, podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and I am at Tyler Mon. And let's get started on three strikes. We're going to talk Futures game. The rosters have been announced for the 2017 Futures game, which will be held coming up on Sunday, All-Stars Sunday at Marlins Park in Miami, which will feature, among other things, the All-Star Futures game coming up at 4 p.m. Eastern time. That will be carried live on MLB Network and there is a lot of talent on these rosters. Headlined, Yohan Mankata, Michael Kopech on the world and U.S. teams respectively. But Sam, what stands out most to you about these rosters? Futures game rosters are always going to be freakishly talented, but every year brings a little bit something different. What's what's unique? What stands out about 2017? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just, you know, I have a cyclical memory or something like that, and you look back at, at various rosters and, um, you know how talented they felt at the time, and you know over time they get to be proven more or less talented depending on the. This one just feels particularly loaded to me. Um, you know, 27 of MLB.com's top 100 prospects are on either the U.S. or World Team 
uh, rosters this year, which is kind of amazing. You, you would think like, oh, they would just split up, you know, the top 50, 225-man rosters is fine. No, there's a lot of calculus that goes into this. You know, every team has to have at least one representative. Some teams have as many as three. Um, you know, you want, for the world team, you want as many countries as you can represented just to make this kind of a cool event. Uh, you also have, obviously, you know, there's pitchers spots, there's catcher spots, there's all, you know, for infield positions, there's so many outfield spots. There's just so much that goes into this. And yet they were able to make a roster, two rosters that feature 27 of the names that we've been following all season. They're going to be on the same field, a major league field, uh, you know, places with not just a single deck, not just double deck, but, you know, triple deck. Um that's just so really cool. And, uh, it, you know, if there's one group of players that I'm really looking forward to seeing, it's it's this world team infield. Uh, just go around the horn here. At first base, Jordan Alvarez, you know, representing Cuba. Um, Josh Naylor representing Canada at first base. Second base, particularly loaded. Top overall prospect, Joel Moncada, will probably be the starter there just because it makes sense. He's overly talented. He's at AAA. Uh, you know, it's probably going to be the last time we'll be able to play in a futures game. Makes sense as a starter. Uh, they could also, you know, put in Mauricio Dubon there, uh, which would be fascinating. Ahmed Rosario, who's another top five overall prospect, will probably be the starting shortstop. So the the idea of Rosario and Mancata forming a double play combination, and not only that, but probably both featuring prominently at the top of the world lineup, is just going to be really, really cool. I think someday we'll look back and think, it's amazing that these two are on the same field together um, just because the way they've performed at AAA, the talent we know they have uh, on both ends of the ball, you know, whether on offense or on defense, um, that'll be really good. And then third base is also really, really loaded because it, not only will it have Rafael Devers, who a lot of, or Devers, uh, a lot of people think he should already be in Boston, but he's still in Portland. So, you know, his power is something that could particularly p- play really well in this game. Uh, but below him is Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who is still only 18 years old. He only turned 18 in March. He's tearing up the Midwest League in Lansing, along with Bo Bichette, who's on the U.S. team. Uh, still only 18. He's going to be on this roster with guys, you know, four or five years older than him. And yet, you know, a 19. He, I want to see how he's going to fit in. We we know he has all the talent in the world. Uh, what is it? What's it going to be like for him to go up against Double A, even Triple A arms? Uh, it's one game. Not going to. He could go over two with two strikeouts, uh, for all we care. But you know, this is the biggest stage he's ever played on. How he's going to respond is going to be fascinating. Lord knows he'll have plenty of advice from his father. Uh, he's seen these types of stages before. Never been between the white lines in this type of situation. So. You just go up and down that world infield, no matter who starts, no matter who comes in off the bench, all that kind of stuff. That's just so stacked. And uh, from the U.S. side, I really like their their pitching. Uh, they have so many top 100 arms. Tristan McKenzie, who I just wrote up yesterday, had 11 strikeouts. Um, he can, you know, he's dominating uh, the Class A Advanced Carolina League. Another teenager, that type of test is what I love to see. A.J. Puck, uh Another top 100, Michael Kopech, Brent Honeywell will be bringing the screwball, Jack Flaherty, who's had an incredible year, John Duplantier, who might be the top prospect in the D-back system now. I mean, you could go until maybe the 7th or 8th inning with this U.S. pitching staff before you get to a name who's not either the top prospect in their system or not a top 100 name. And I think 
you know, we talked about this last week, I think, with the IL and PCL All-Star game. Uh, you know, in this one-game atmosphere, it tends to be arms that can really dominate. They only need to come in, face a couple batters at a time. These guys especially know that they're going to be on national TV. They want to give you all they have, all the gas they have, all the best-breaking stuff. Um, so it would not surprise me is if as good as this world lineup is, you know, this U.S. lineup or this U.S. staff, excuse me, blanks them you know for seven eight innings and then before it gets really interesting late this is a really really exciting couple of rosters and uh sam's got a good write-up on both uh the tool shed column for uh last week up at milb.com which you can check out and print off and watch the game and, and be able to reference who to keep an eye out for if you're not familiar with a whole lot of guys on these rosters but there is a ton of talent on these two teams Strike two this week, Sam. We're going to stick with the Futures game. There are always, for any all-star roster, there are guys you're really excited to see included, and there are guys you kind of wish would have been included. It's sometimes hard to quantify what a snub is for the Futures game because it's very rare that you look at a guy and think, I don't really see why he's on this roster, and this other guy definitely should have been on the roster. But there are certainly guys that you wish you could get a chance to see. So to borrow that term, who feels like a snub off of either the world or the U.S. roster this season? Um, I, I might just be talking kind of, well, I'll, I'll start with this one and I'll, and I'll add another one that would make a little bit more sense. Um, you know, this, this might be purely, uh, selfish of me, but I, I want to get able, or I want to be able to see Walker Bueller and what he would be like in a yeah. short instance. I had the uh, same thought. Yeah. He, he, for people who don't know, Walker Bueller, number four Dodgers prospect, uh, was drafted in the the first round of 2015 um, wasn't able to pitch last season because of Tommy John surgery. So he's starting to really come back this year. They've kind of held him back in terms of innings. Um, you know, he wasn't throwing or he wasn't getting very deep into games when he started the year at class, a advanced Rancho Cucamonga. Now he's at double a Tulsa. The reins are coming off slowly, but surely um, pitched well at both stops. He's got a 2.35 ERA, 78 strikeouts, only 15 walks and 57 and a third innings. I'm sure part of the idea of him not going is that they don't want to waste bullets. I mean, he, like I said, they've been holding him back all year, um, really stringent on his plan. They don't want to send him to this event, have him pitch it for just one inning, um, you know, try to throw as hard as he can, and then something pops, and then they're back at square one. That being said, Bueller has been brought up since the beginning of the year, since we knew he was he could pitch fully healthy for even half a season, about could he be – a bullpen option for the Dodgers as late as the second half of the year. You know, we right. know the Dodgers are going to compete. That's currently what they're doing in the NL West. Uh, you know, what would happen with him based on everything we've say, seen and heard and people we've talked to, you know, he's got three above average pitches. He's got really solid control. Um, this is a stage to put that to the test. I think under normal circumstances, again, the Tommy John surgery isn't a normal circumstance. So it, it feels like, you know, he's he's got the talent to be in this game. Nobody doubts that. Um, and I would have loved to have seen him there again, selfishly speaking. But, you know, I can understand why he's not there. I think the Dodgers have a couple other uh, representatives. They have Yadier Alvarez on the world team. Um, and they've got another really exciting young arm. Yeah. And the other guy we'll be talking to today, Alex Verdugo, um, also on the world team representing Mexico. So. You know, they've got two representatives, two top honor guys. You can't be too picky with the Dodgers in that sense. I would have still loved to see Walker Buehler. Um, if we're going more realistic, maybe Carson Kelly, I think, is the other guy I would have liked to see 
you know, again, U.S. catchers have two top 100 representatives in Zach Collins and Chance Cisco. Cisco's at AAA. Norfolk this year starting to bang down the door to Baltimore. Zach Collins, first-round pick last year for the White Sox, part of their rebuild, obviously. He's at Class A advanced Winston-Salem. Both good picks. I think Kelly would just make it that more exciting. He entered the year as the top catching prospect in baseball um, and certainly has not done much to hurt that uh, that uh, status. Uh, maybe he's gotten passed by Francisco Mejia, who just continues to be a hitting machine and will be on the world team. Um, but I think Kelly just makes that group a little bit more exciting. I don't know if Collins is necessarily going to stick to catcher long term, although he's shown a pretty good arm behind there uh, this year. Hasn't hit much. He's more of an OBP machine. Kelly's a little bit more rounded. I'll love to see him work with a staff like this. So if I'm looking at snubs, again, there's just so much calculus that goes into this and so many moving parts and which organizations get which players and um, who fits in what places. But taking what was already an exciting game would have been just a little bit more exciting with both Kelly or Bueller there, I think. Yeah, I think those are both really good uh, selections. My my two... One, I think we aren't going to see there because he was in this game last year. One, we're not going to see there because he's young and I think he'll be in this game next year. Um, Dom Smith from the the New York Mets organization. Dominic Smith has had a a terrific season with the AAA Las Vegas 51s. He's slashing 321, 376, 479 with 10 homers through 84 games. But he played in this game last year and it's a, a tremendous honor. But Major League Baseball does a really good job of rotating guys through to get some younger guys in, to get that exposure on the, the national stage, the international stage. So it's not a, a snub necessarily. Dominic Smith already had this experience. He's really getting it going with AAA Las Vegas, so that would have been cool to see. He's got a 19-game hitting streak right now. We're recording this on Wednesday. He hit two home runs uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, so the hit streak actually, I believe, has been extended to 20, but um, he is... No, I take that back. History came to an end yesterday. Neither here nor there. Dom Smith has had a fantastic season, but again, um, last year was a participant in this game. Mentioned a few minutes ago, some of the young guys, especially on that world roster, One of the guys who I think would have been really fun to see on the U.S. roster, and it would have been a stretch this year as his first full pro season, but Mickey Moniak has had a terrific season through 75 games so far this year with Lakewood. Batting 270, he's 19 years old. He's got a 708 OPS. A guy who's still kind of figuring out the the rigors of pro ball, but that a 1-1 pick from 2016 being on a futures game roster in 2017 would have been something really cool to see just kind of as a not a pipe dream necessarily but maybe a bit of a long shot um but again a a very highly touted prospect the future of an organization those are the types of guys we love seeing and we love seeing them play against uh, talent of their ilk in, in, a, in an opportunity like the Futures game. I have no doubt we're going to see Mickey Moniak there in 2018 or in 2019. Uh, but again, that's kind of the cool thing about this game is it gives you a chance to pick out some of the brightest stars in the minor leagues and say, yeah, I would have loved to see what that guy could have done against this roster. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, with Moniak, I, I don't know if he's quite earned his way yet. It would, but to, to your point, I mean, he certainly has the talent level. That's why he went 1-1 last year. Um, you know, I've mentioned in the past, you know, we shouldn't ex- exactly measure him up to that standard. We should measure him more up to Clint Frazier and Austin Meadows, those type of top 10 outfielders. And, and you know, he, he has had his bumps and bruises, but how would he react to this type of assignment um, That from just a story perspective, never mind talent perspective. Right. And, and like Tyler said, you know, there will be other chances for him, and that's why he's not here. 
but to put him in this environment um, around th- more talented players uh, than himself, what would he pick up from that? What can he take away from that? And and I think that's kind of what we have here with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, yeah, and yeah, Bobichet. I, so. I mean, Bobichet was a pick last year, and here he is. So right. Bobichet's kind of filling that role um, on the U.S. team. Guerrero's picking it up on the other side. What are they going to take away from this trip to Miami and bring back with them to to Class A Lansing? Um, what is it going to be like going from facing you know AAA, AA arms to Midwest League arms again? Uh, is that going to throw them for a loop or what? I don't know. But uh, yeah, so so much to take out of this one game. Uh, maybe we put a little bit, bit too much into it at times, but still, um, you know, it's going to be really exciting to see to see all these guys on the same stage. Strike three this week, Sam. The international signing deadline has come and gone, and all 30 major league teams jumping into the pool, some more than others, with uh, international um, signing money. Um, that's a whole complicated thing we've discussed at times uh, throughout this, the, really the start of 2017. It seems like this topic has come up a bunch. But um, what we're going to do today is we're going to highlight some of the stars that signed off of the international free agent market uh, on the July 2nd deadline of this year. Who is the, the name that stands out most to you among among um, players that signed. There are a lot of organizations that jumped in with multiple top 30 prospects on the MLB pipeline rankings. They ranked the top 30 best available players on the international market. But what stands out to you about this year's signing period? Yeah, so the we should kind of get into just what's so different about you know this July 2nd signing period yeah. um, than in other years. As we talked about in the offseason, um, yeah, this is a new CBA. There's a couple things that affect little things here and there, but this is where it's really felt. I think, uh, there was talk about an international draft, what would happen with that? Uh, and that didn't get worked out. And what did get worked out is what is essentially a hard cap. Um, teams can really not go beyond this, these caps that are assigned to them. Um, so, you know, for the 2017, 2018 international signing period. So it not only starts here, it goes all the way until, you know, July 2nd of next year. Um, most teams have a bonus pool of 4.75 million. If they're a small market club, they might have 5.25 or 5.75 million, but they cannot go above that. Uh, and the penalties are still in place. So if teams went above their, their cap in previous years, they can't sign any player for more than $300,000. So some of the big spenders in recent years, that's the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Giants, the Royals, um, all teams that are in the second year of the penalty. Uh, I'm getting this from Baseball America's Ben Badler, who if you're not following him and not yeah. following MLB.com's Jesse Sanchez, they these are two people that are all over this uh, this type of year. I think this is kind of their their futures game or their, or their Super Bowl, as it were, right. uh, to use a different sport analogy. But um, the A's, the Astros, the Braves, the Cardinals, the Nationals, the Padres, and the Reds also are under that $300,000 uh, penalty. So those are teams you're not going to see active in this market. Obviously teams like the Braves and the, the Padres and the Reds would love to swoop in and get some of these guys, but they just don't have the money to do so. Um, and because of this hard cap, you're going to see numbers kind of coming down as well. So you're not going to see a Yohan Mankata again, you know, signing for $31 million just because that can't happen. Um, teams only have around $5 million to sign players. Uh, so the one that kind of stands out to me this year is the n- number one international prospect pretty much anywhere you read, uh, whether it was you know Jesse Sanchez or Baseball America with Ben Badler, uh, was Wander Franco. 
He signed with the Rays for $3.825 million. Um, what makes Franco such an interesting prospect? He is a shortstop for now. Um, could eventually move to second, but he is a shortstop. So the Rays obviously want him to hold on to that position as long as they can. A pretty good hitter, a definitely a good runner. Um, can, because he's a good runner, can cover plenty of ground. Um, standing five foot ten, one sixty, could probably grow into that a little bit. He is a switch hitter, pretty good from both sides of the plate. So he kind of fits this kind of stereotypical top of the order bat. Uh, and you know, he has all these tools in abundance. The only thing that's not really there yet is the power. He's only sixteen. Uh, get this, born in two thousand one. Yeah, one. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so yeah. <laughs> So he, he could still fill into some power eventually, um, but he goes to the Rays. Obviously, the Rays, their top prospect right now is Willie Adamas. You don't think about that yet. You know, maybe They would love to see the day that Willie Adamas is playing short and Wander Franco is playing second or vice versa down the road. But with a 16-year-old versus a player at AAA, you're not worried about that. They're not going to bump into each other for a long time. Um, and, and this is a Rays system that I think was kind of – you know, pitcher heavy right now. I mean, Jake Bowers is a top 100 prospect. Casey Gillespie is also in that discussion. Their first rounder from last year, Josh Lowe, is having a little bit of a difficult year at Class A Bowling Green. Um, so now they add just what might be, you know, he's right there with Adamas as being the toolsiest player in that system. Um, you know, they didn't have the penalties. They were able to go out and get get him because they are kind of a smaller market. They can splash a little bit more internationally because they're, uh, bonus pool is 5.25 million instead of the 4.75 million. So this is just a, a raised system that we always thought was pretty good, but just add something, somebody who is very interesting, obviously at the top of the class, anybody, anywhere you look, um, the fact that he's going to the raise makes that system a little bit better. And, uh, it's, he'll be somebody we'll have to watch as he comes stateside, maybe next year, if not in two years. One of the guys who I thought was cool to follow um, because he caught my and a whole bunch of other people's eyes last fall in New York was the right-hander from Lucelia, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Eric Pardino, who signed with the Toronto Blue Jays. Again, another 2001 birthday. He was born on January 5th, 2001. But Pardino kind of burst onto the scene. He pitched two-thirds of an inning out of the bullpen for Brazil in the World Baseball Classic qualifier game uh, at MCU Park in Brooklyn against Pakistan. And that was a 16-year-old kid. At that time, a 15-year-old kid who was throwing mid to upper 90s. He's usually 90 to 93. He's not that big of a guy as of yet. He's 5'10", 155. He's also still growing because he's 16 years old. Um, but he signs with the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, a very, very promising young arm, and a guy who comes from not the biggest hotbed of Latin American baseball talent, but I think a place that is poised to emerge with more talent coming out of that region, especially because of the internal strife currently going on in Venezuela. There was even a tweet from Ben Badler uh, from Baseball America on signing deadline day that because of so many teams, so many players and families who had asked, they were withholding bonus information from being publicly posted for Venezuelan players because of everything that's going on in that country right now to try to keep families safe players who were signing for relatively big money brazil is an emerging power in latin america in baseball um but it's still a long ways off obviously from matching the dominican republic or venezuela or you know other uh latin american legendary latin american national programs and uh and academy level programs that have been built over the last several decades but i think it's cool when you have a star that can be 
identified as the guy who can carry the flag um, for a, a nation's baseball, growing baseball community. And Eric Pardino may be that guy um, out of Sao Paulo, Brazil. So uh, keep an eye on him. He's 16 years old. Again, he's probably a little ways away from debuting stateside. We'll see him in the, the Dominican Summer League um, and those types of things for maybe the next couple of years. But a really exciting arm and a right-hander who goes to the Blue Jays. Um, that's one of the neat things about the international signing period is you get to – come across guys who you have heard about you've heard little snippets about throughout something in their youth careers you've seen a scout a statement on a guy or something that's been tweeted out from somebody a video a grainy footage from a you know a, a showcase game somewhere in the Dominican a couple of years ago where a dude it's a 450 foot homer and you realize he's 16 um, and it's neat because these are guys that 10 years down the road could be some of the biggest stars in baseball and we're just now finally hearing their names and learning about them for the first time it's a cool thing about the signing period internationally yeah, and, and there were also uh, a couple of guys from the Bahamas as well um, that got picked up. Christian Robinson goes to the D-backs. Uh, Trent, I'm going to get this name wrong. I want to say it's Duvaux. Um, he goes to the Angels. Um, and I, I don't think we think about the Bahamas in that same way either. Right. So um, seeing you know some of these other countries that we, we typically just think of the international signing period as being Cuba, Dominican Republic, Venezuela. Um, but you're right, Tyler, to see some of these other places, Brazil, Colombia, um, Panama, you know, Curacao, yeah, Aruba, right. those types of places. Yeah. You know, these are guys that are obviously as talented. We just don't, you know, necessarily think of their countries immediately during the signing period. So, um, yeah, if, if your team picked them up to see, you know, follow them along, they'll probably be mostly going to the DSL at least to begin their careers. Um, what they do there and how they handle themselves once they come stateside is always uh, fascinating to follow. And again, remember, no more Venezuelan summer league. So basically everybody signed at 16, 17 years old gets kind of that initial run through at the, the DSL, the Dominican Summer League, uh, before passing on to the Gulf Coast League, the Arizona League, and some of the rookie-level league stateside. So some exciting talent coming off of the international market here in 2017. That'll do it for three strikes in this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. Coming up, we're going to head to AAA Oklahoma City where we will find Alex Verdugo of the Los Angeles Dodgers organization who will represent Mexico in the Major League All-Star Futures game coming up on Sunday. Alex Verdugo from the Pacific Coast League joins the show before the show next. Joining us this week on the Minor League Baseball Podcast show before the show is Dodgers prospect Alex Verdugo talking to us from his uh, time with the Oklahoma City Dodgers. How is it going, Alex? Uh, everything's going great. Thank you for asking. I'm yeah, yeah, good. good happy thanks. to be here. Good. Yeah, thanks for joining us. The the one major thing we want to talk to you about this week, you know, it's going to be a big weekend for you coming up with the Futures game. Uh, you're going to be heading down to Miami playing for the world roster. Um, you know, how did you find out that you were going down to Miami, and what are you looking forward to about that whole process? Uh, yeah, our player development um, guy, Cap, was here, and uh, – he called me into the coach's um, office and, you know, we just sat down. We had a conversation about uh, how the year's going and things going on. And then they broke the news to me first that I was going to be a triple-A all-star and then also that they wanted me to uh, represent the Dodgers and go to the Futures game for, for the world roster. And um, what was your re initial reaction when you found out you were doing both? Uh, I mean, obviously I was thrilled. Um, I mean, it's a huge honor, you know, to – uh, my roommate Willie Calhoun, he was he went to the Futures game last year, and and um, you know he told me how fun it was, and and uh, just to be against like 
playing with those guys and, and around them. And, um, you know, it's, it's a real exciting time. And obviously to tell my family uh, and, you know, my dad and my mom are extremely proud of me. And, and it's just uh, it's, it's an awesome feeling. Mm-hmm. And have you been able to look at the rosters yet, kind of size things up? I mean, who are you most looking forward to either playing with or playing against in that game? Um, I would just say everybody, really. Um, you know, there's not – I wouldn't say there's one guy. I just, you know, because these are, these are guys from different levels, you know, uh, different ages and, and just, uh, you know, all doing really good in their careers so far. So I think it's just going to be really exciting to go out there and, and uh, play against them and, you know, play with them. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned, you know, you were added to the PCL All-Star team as well. That game is in Tacoma, um, so that means potentially flying to Miami and then flying to Tacoma to participate in both. Are you going to be able to do both? Yeah, I'm not, I'm doing both. Uh, so I'm flying from New Orleans to um, Miami and then Miami to Tacoma. All right, well, hopefully you got a, a frequent flyers program or something like that. But uh, <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned you, you're, you know, on the world roster. Um, you're technically representing Mexico, I guess. You know, reading stories about you, it sounds like your dad is Mexican. Um, what does it mean to, to be on that world roster representing, you know, a country of Mexico? You know, you have direct lineage to that. You grew up in Tucson, Arizona, but, um, you know, to be representing Mexico on this kind of stage. It means a lot, you know, just um, coming from this year, you know, playing in the WBC with Mexico and and um, seeing, you know, how, how happy it makes my dad and how proud of him, you know, that he, like, how proud he is of me. Uh, it's just one of those things that it's just a huge honor and I'm, I'm so happy that um, I was blessed this opportunity to do it. And, I mean, it, it just, you could just tell in my dad's eyes, you know, how, how happy he is and, just that I get to represent, you know, obviously our, our heritage and, and, uh, team Mexico or in Mexico. And, and he's just, yeah, having words can't really describe how, how happy he is. Mm-hmm. Is he first generation himself? Did he come over from Mexico? So I want to say my dad, he was born in Tucson, but he, his, uh, his father was, was from Mexico and going on with that, yeah, they were all – I have a lot of family that came from Mexico all over, but he was actually born in the States. Mm-hmm. So how much visiting of, of that country did you do growing up? I mean, how much of an attachment do you have you know, growing up in Tucson? I know it's, you know, it's a border state and you're almost right there, but uh, how much of an attachment do you have to the country? Yeah, uh, you know, obviously, like you said, it's a uh, border state. So during my childhood, we were, we were able to travel down there and – and uh, go down there quite a quite a few times, and and my dad would show me around and, and show me the spots and uh, and just you know get me get me used to it and um, you know so I spent a lot of time out there. Mm-hmm. And, and how did the conversation come up? You know, you brought up the World Baseball Classic. You you were with Team Mexico as part of that process this spring. Um, what was the conversation like that kickstarted you being able to play for that team? Uh, I actually. I want to say I was in fall league, and one of our coaches, um, he, he, I thought, but um, told me that there were some people interested in me, um, you know, playing for Team Mexico and, and participating in it, and uh, actually going to Japan and the exhibition games against uh, against, against the Japan's World Team, and um, you know, I, I said, of course, I would love that, and 
that's kind of how I got I got into the whole thing and uh, just just from there you know I never looked back the, the team was awesome the management was awesome and uh, just you know I fell in love with the, fell in love with the coaching staff and you know they like so it was just one of those fits it was it was just right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what, what was it like starting out your season in that way? I, I know, obviously, you were in spring training for a little bit before going, but um, to start out your season in a big international competition like that where games are actually mad, you know, they matter in a way that Cactus League games just don't, um, you know, what did that do to set up you, you for the coming year? I think it just got me, uh, just got me ready for the year, you know, just Obviously, going into there, I had limited at bats, you know, limited playing time, and um, when I when I get there, and you know, it's all mindset, and once you just lock it in, that and I can I came from that, and if I can lock it in, you know, it doesn't matter me at bats or how I'm feeling, you know, just to go you can and. Yeah, and um, you know, just kind of take me through this year. Then you know that that sets you up for this. You know, at, as of the time we're talking to you right now, you've reached base safely in 29 straight games, going back to June 4th. Uh, you had a pretty long hit streak in, in between there. I think that reached 20 games. Um, you know, how hot at the plate do you feel right now, and how much of a different hitter are you than when you were competing in spring training and in the WBC? Um. I think I'm a lot different aspect of my mentality, my approach at the plate. Uh, I'm not trying to get too big. I'm not trying to do too much. I'm just trying to stay within my, you know, hit the ball hard and, and just make contact. And from that, you know, it, it just, it turns into doubles. It turns into, turns into, you know, RBIs. And, and um, I, I like to see pitches, you know, I like to, I like to let the count go a little deep and that's been a, uh, that's been helping me get a couple more walks and getting on base. And ever since I've the leadoff spot, it's the biggest, my biggest pet peeve is just, you know, just try to get on base, just, just do anything I can. So, so the guys behind me uh, will have an opportunity to drive in runs and, and get a, get us on the board. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up, um, you know, moving to the leadoff spot, you know, you, you moved to the leadoff spot, I think early June. Um, since then you're batting 443 with a 505 on base percentage. Uh, you know, was it a, a tacit, you know, decision in your mind that you were going to kind of change your approach based on that hitting position? Because it, you've hit literally everywhere else. You've hit second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, all the way down to ninth this season for OKC. Um, you know, what was it like when you moved to that spot and how has that kind of fueled your success ever since? Being in the leadoff spot has, has really just, you know, it's helped me as, Taking the taking some pressure off, you know, just just really worried about getting on base, no matter how it is, you know, whether it's hit by pitch, a walk, or single, double, like just you know, just trying to trying to start off the game the right way, and um, and obviously later on in the game, you, you lead off spot, you get so many at bats a game, so you know you're gonna get around four to five at bats a game, and and um, you know, once like one, I, I I got to a point where. You know, I'd always be like, man, I don't like to lead off because, you know, I don't want to lead off. But you only lead off really one time a game, and that's to start it. And then after that, you get up with runners on or, or you get opportunities to drive in runs. And uh, once I once I accepted the fact that, you know, that's where I want to be and 
I actually do enjoy the leadoff spot. You know, I, I feel like I've just taken off from there. Yeah, how long did it, it take you, for you to, to get that comfort level? And, and what was that conversation like? Was, was that something that came from, you know, your manager, Bill Hasselman, or is that something that came from the top down, whether it be Gabe Kapler or whatever, that they wanted to see you in that leadoff spot? Uh, I think it came from half. I think it was just one of those things, you know, uh, we just wanted to mix it up. Our offense was, uh, we, were, we were just struggling a little bit. We weren't getting a lot of runs. And uh, Willie was, uh, Willie was, you know, freaking hitting the crap out of the ball and <laughs> and, uh, and doing done, what he does yeah. best. So, right. So uh, driving in runs and, and um, I just wanted to be on base so he could do that. And uh, so half was just like, yeah, go ahead. And I had previous experience with it in low A, batting leadoff with uh, actually our third base coach, Matos. And uh, Matos was like, yeah, he, he's actually a really good leadoff hitter. And so uh, so my first day back, I think I ended up going like three for five with a, with a homer from like my first day of leadoff. And uh, <laughs> I think that helped my mentality as well. I was like, you know, Hass, I actually do like batting leadoff. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it for sure. Um, well, kind of switching to the other side of the field, you know, you're known as a, a certainly a capable defender almost at any spot you play on the grass in the outfield. Um, you know, you got a plus arm. You're a guy who used to used to pitch in high school. Um, but at the beginning of the year, it seemed like they were playing you around a lot more, you know, mixing in even some left field. Uh, it seemed like the, f the first month you were almost playing exclusively right. Now they moved you back to center. Um, you know, what do you feel – most comfortable in when you're playing the outfield and you know why do you think you're able to handle center as well as you have or, or feel as comfortable in that such a demanding position uh i'd say my most comfortable position is center and then it would go right and left but uh just being comfortable in every position is huge you know and uh for me for being centers just i've had most of my games in my life has have been out of center field so it's just where I've had the most reps in, and and uh, I'm my, I'm not I'm not the fastest guy, but I really rely on my reads and uh, my routes and and all that. And I know that you know uh, if it comes down to my arm or something, I gotta throw somebody out. Like uh, I know that I have confidence with that, and and uh, I'll be able to throw somebody out. But um, yeah, it's just it's just really it was. We had a me and my me and Matos. We had a conversation beginning of the year, just where. Uh, I wasn't playing outfield the way I really have normally played it. And I was just, I was a little sluggish as in like my reads were a little off, you know, I was just a little bit just doing things that I normally wouldn't do. And ever since we had that conversation, I think something just sparked where, where I, I finally was like, you know what, you're, he's right. I got to get back on top of it. And uh, so now I just, I just take, I take pride in it and, and I want to, I want to play every position and, and, you know, be the best at it. Mm -hmm. and, and what have you changed about that, um, you know, after having that conversation? Uh, it's just, you know, being prepared every single pitch, like not taking a pitch off, you know, even like some innings will get long, you know, and, and it's, just, uh, it's just about always being prepared, always thinking a couple plays ahead. And, you know, if the ball's hit here, you know, I'm going to go here with it or, or I'll go, or I'll go to like third or something like that. It's just thinking about the next, thinking about plays ahead of the play. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, you started the year, I think you were the youngest player in the Pacific Coast League at the start of the year. You turned 21 in, in the middle of May. Uh, what has surprised you the most about the minors' highest level at AAA? 
Um, I don't know if I would really say anything really surprised me. It's more because we have a lot of veterans um, on our team, and they they've all taken me under the wing, and they've been great with me, and they've uh, they've all given me advice and told me told me what to expect, what's going to happen, and like you know certain things and ha- how to handle failure, how to handle success, like how to how to prepare and and all that. So I think just just trying to prepare myself the same every day and and go out there and play whether you know whether you're in a slump whether you're doing good you just got to stay consistent and uh something that they've really helped me a lot with Mm -hmm. what do you feel like is the is the best piece of advice you've gotten and who did you get it from uh uh, man i've gotten a lot of advice from trace uh ike um van flyg bobby wilson i mean i've just just it's it's all it's all a collective collective group they they really have just they've all helped me out and they've all been you know great teammates and and looked after me and uh i wouldn't really say that there's one thing that they've really told me it's just it's it's everything i mean everything they tell me is important Mm -hmm. and we might as well bring this up before we let you go you know the way the dodgers are working this year they're competing in the nl west again going after another division title um, they've shown, you know, in the past that they're not afraid to go to young talent if they feel like that can really fill a hole. Obviously, your former teammate Cody Bellinger has done a really good job of that with LA this year. Um, when you're hitting as well as you are, and when you're performing as well you are as you are in the field, um, you know, how much do you feel like every time you're going out there, you're kind of auditioning for a major league job? Uh, I think we all. I think everybody thinks that, but. You know, we try our best not to. We try to we try to worry about what we're doing down here and and just you know playing hard, playing the right way. And uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. Obviously, it's a goal to to be in the big leagues and to to get the call. And and um, I just want to be ready when that time happens. You know, I just want to be able to contribute and uh, and help out any way I can. You know, whether it's pinch running, you know, pinch hitting or or defensive replacement, whatever it is. You just got to be ready for it, and uh, obviously seeing Cody go up there, it's it's, uh, it's pretty special to to see what he's done and to see how he sparked the sparked that team. Mm-hmm. And if you were to get the call, you know, next week, let's say after the Futures game or something like that, what do you think you could provide a major league team with on day one? Uh, I'd say. The biggest thing is just you know energy. Uh, I bring. I, I like to. I like to keep things loose. I like to have fun and mess around. And uh, so I, I bring energy and and obviously um, you know whatever that team needed. I don't want to. I don't want to say I would do things. You know, just just want to keep playing the way I play. And you know, I just you just hope that's enough. All right. Well, thanks so much, Alex, for joining us this week on the MILB podcast. And uh, good luck this weekend in Miami and uh, going forward next week into Tacoma at the AAA All-Star Game. Have fun out there. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. Back in New York City is one Benjamin Hill who made it safe and sound home. I assume safe and sound. Are you safe and sound, Ben? Um, neither of those things, but I did make it back to New York City. Oh, okay. So, uh, well, that's the most you know, important part. It could be part. worse. Well, I the guess. fact that you're talking is, is proof that you're sound. That's sound. That is hey, a there sound. there you go. Yeah, I'm safe and making sound. And making sound. I'm not sure if I'm actually sound, but I'm back. It works. Back in the New York groove. 
<laughs> so tell us about the last uh, last time we talked to you. You were in the state of Utah and uh, getting set to check out the Salt Lake Bees. You wrap things up with the Pioneer League in that one stop in the Pacific Coast League. Give us through uh, the rest of your mountain time zone swing. Yeah, when I talked to you last week, I'd seen uh, six of the eight teams on the itinerary. And, uh, yeah, I did see the Salt Lake Bees, the one AAA team, the one non-Pioneer League team on this trip. Saw the Salt Lake Bees and uh, never been there before. It has the mountain view, just like in Orem, just like in Ogden. The Wasatch Mountains? Wasatch? You're, you're the well, one I think it's Wasatch. I'm the one who went there yeah. and had people tell me every night, Wasatch Mountains. W-A-S-A-T-C-H. I should learn how to pronounce it for sure. But it's the same mountain range that's uh, in Ogden, in Orem, in uh, Salt Lake. And, uh, you know, you could argue about which team has the best view. I, I think Salt Lake might. Ogden, the mountains are a little closer. They're, you're a little more enveloped by them. But in uh, Salt Lake, they're most expansive, just like all the way across. So that was great. It was kind of unsettling, not unsettling, jarring to be in a AAA environment when I was doing so many Pioneer League trips. It just, the ballpark seemed huge. And um, but just really enjoyed it. It was just like a really pleasant night. I got to thinking how if I lived anywhere near Salt Lake, I would certainly be going to a lot of Salt Lake Bees games. And uh, then the next night, I stayed in Salt Lake. That was my base of operations. And last, the last night of the trip, I went to Orem, home of the Owls, O W L Z, the Owls. And uh, they play at a uh, ballpark, uh, a collegiate ballpark, so they don't get into it really until June. And then their season starts a couple years later. A couple years later. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, their season starts, you know, a couple of weeks it just, just after they get access way. to the ballpark every year. So, uh, you know, they're they're still very much uh, early in the season and uh, really just getting underway. It was Pirates of the Caribbean night when I was there, and I met Captain Jack Sparrow, and he's a pretty nice guy. Various pirates stole nachos that my designated eaters were eating. Uh, never had, uh, you know, pirates robbing food at the ballpark, at least when I'm there and uh, documenting it. Uh, so that was cool, and I missed it by one day, but they gave it to me. They gave away a thingamabobble last weekend that is just a giant hand and each finger bobbles and each finger has a championship ring on it and it's just a really bizarre giant kind of creepy looking hand with five championship rings and uh, I was able to bring one home and uh, I have it on my shelf now and now Cal Ripken, a Cal Ripken bobblehead I got in Bluefield last year is staring straight into the hand of this uh, thing of a bobble, and I feel like this Kaurukan bobblehead's kind of in a dark place. The way he has to stare at the palm of the thing of a bobble on my shelf. I was thinking a lot about it over the weekend when I got home and had a chance to assess the situation. Um, you know how truly bizarre bobbleheads are, and I'm really Kaurukan's uh, in my thoughts that he's staring at this thing of a bobble every day, straight into its palm. Um, I hope things like are okay. scary to look at. I mean, the thing looks like it's out of some sort of like. Halloween exhibit or something. Just the way it's grabbing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I fully expect to wake up one morning and see it like hovering in my face and then just latch onto my face. Don't bring it home. It's going to every day just move three inches closer to your bed. Maybe like that Treehouse of Horror episode where Bart gets the monkey hand. It, it is exactly like that, actually. Yeah. yeah. And uh, But I brought it home with me and, you know, it's pretty cool. It says high five the owls on one side, you know. Because you can high five. Well, anyway, this is, this, is a, this is kind of a diversion. I finished up the trip. I made it back home late on a Friday night into a kind of unreality long weekend, July 4th. Today is really the first day that things feel kind of normal, and I'm just kind of all out of sorts. So let's get going. Let's right. get going. Come well, on. Come you, on. You mentioned about Salt Lake just feeling bigger. 
I mean, I'm sure obviously there's a lot, lot more seats there, a lot more fans. But what is the difference between the atmosphere when you're going from Salt Lake to Orem, you know, back to back nights? Well, yeah, I mean, just the the, the size is the main thing. Um, you know, I, I got to Salt Lake and I got in, you know, to go to the press box. I go to a an elevator. First of all, no, or very few Pioneer League stadiums have elevators. But I take an elevator to the fourth level. I'm like four levels. Like this is ridiculous. So you've been in the Pioneer League. Um, and, you know, I was there on a weeknight and not a big crowd, so it is harder to harness the energy of the big parks, as you know, especially when one has a 360-degree concourse and a large berm, that even a somewhat decent crowd can just be so spread out that uh, it doesn't necessarily you know, have the same intimacy as a lot of the Pioneer League environments did, but that's that's the nature of the beast, and uh, it was really cool to be in Salt Lake, and uh, I hope to make it back there sometime. The Bees, good team. So I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, but which do you kind of prefer do you prefer the intimate atmosphere where everybody's close together or the kind of spectacle of a bigger stadium i mean from my i think you know i've kind of said this in various ways through the years that i I prefer smaller ballparks and lower levels of play um from my perspective as a writer just because in general there's just more intimacy and access and the kind of easier ability to sort of assess the surroundings and kind of see what I might want to focus on from a writing perspective in terms of uh, the way I'm documenting it on the blog or on the, uh, you know, for MILB.com features. But each one has its plus and minuses, and I like literally going everywhere. I know that sounds like a cop-out, and I'm always a diplomat, but it's true. I like all the different environments. But if I had my druthers, um, I would generally choose to be in older, uh, lower-level ballparks because that's where I find... I believe, you know, some of the most uh, the most personality and the most personalities in terms of the, some of the characters that inhabit such places. There's a good story up on the site about the sort of long goodbye between the city of Helena and its brewers, which will be moving after the 2018 season. You can check that out from Ben's stop through the Pioneer League. And uh, with that, let's move to uh, promo preview for this week. Uh, in promo watch, the Potomac Nationals are giving away an item on Saturday that will result in a whole lot of missing components to it because there's a removable part that I'm sure is very small and will probably be lost by any kid who has it. But it's a, an interesting um, bobble, not a bobble head, it's a bobble uh, appendage. Tell us about this ode to Tommy John surgery, Ben. Yeah, actually, I believe nothing is bobbly. Maybe it's not bobbly. Yeah, there's I, I no bobble. A bobble, a I called it a bobble elbow at one point, but I don't think it bobbles. But what it's it is It's just like a is, statue. Yeah, it is. It is a statue. It's an ode to Tommy John's surgery that the Potomac Nationals are giving away on Saturday. And uh, the Nationals, the peanuts as we call them, um, you know, have been doing creative giveaways for quite some time. I think their take on it is, you know, we're so close to the parent club and we, in fact, you know, have a great relationship with the parent club, but we, in, to an extent, compete with them. So I think they kind of go out of their way to have giveaways and promos that really set them apart and aren't afraid to get creative with it. And this one is about half of an upper torso with a pitcher, and this is a torso of a pitcher, presumably, and the elbow of said pitcher is hollowed out so you can see the ligaments in the elbow, and within those that hollowed out section of the elbow, there is a UCL, an ulnar ulnar collateral ligament that can be removed within this giveaway item. So to recap, this is where a picture is handy. You'd look at it and be like, oh, that's what it is. But to recap, the Potomac Nationals on Saturday, Ode to Tommy John's Surgery statue featuring a removable UCL. So one of the coolest, more bizarre bobbleheads you'll ever see. And I, I, I talked to the 
uh, general manager of the team, Brian Holland, on uh, on Monday. I talked to him, and you know, he said, "Look, you know, like you know, we've gotten a little push pushback from some, you know, thinking like, oh, don't give this away, it jinxes guys. Like, we don't want to be celebrating, you know, you know, guys getting on the DL." And he's saying that's not our intent. Our intent is to celebrate the careers, such as the surgery's namesake, Tommy John, uh, the careers of people who have uh, you know been able to play well past their initial injury because of what a you know career saving and innovative surgery this has been and i think it does make sense from that perspective so they said they're going to have a you know salute to dr frank job a salute to uh tommy john a salute to um, james andrews and other pioneering surgeons in the field and uh, have some fun with it and it's also um how the grinch stole halfway to christmas night just coincidentally the same day only in minor league baseball hey come to the ballpark we're giving away an ode to tommy john statue an ode to tommy john's surgery statue on how the grinch stole halfway to christmas night but it'll be a memorable night at the ballpark and the grinch will be giving away ode to tommy john's surgery statues when you come in so if you've ever wanted to have the grinch give you a bizarre minor league promotional item at the gates Head out to Potomac on Saturday, be one of the first 1,250 people, and uh, truly live the dream. Why is this Potomac doing I know you mentioned like they've been off the wall. I, I remember, I think, the one promo story I've done in my years was on their ability to do you know, Star Wars themed really well. Um, but as far as I know, they don't have a connection to any of these surgeons or Tommy John himself or anything. So No, not specifically. They were just thinking we're the first. Yeah, I, I, you know, in talking to the team, the the GM, Brian Holland, he said, you know, like so many off-the-wall minor league promos, off-season brainstorming, and you're, you're just throwing any ideas out there, throwing stuff at the wall, see what sticks, and one thing leads to another. He said the, initially the idea was some sort of bionic man, bionic elbow kind of thing, and it morphed from there into, you know, more celebrating the, the intricacies of the surgery itself, and... Uh, they just decided to go with it. So it's not specific to Potomac or the uh, Washington Nationals organization, but it is something that affects um, baseball players throughout the landscape in every organization, and why not celebrate it? We celebrate so many other things. Why not celebrate something that has done more to extend the careers of players uh, than, than very few other things, at least when it comes to specific medical procedures? There are really, really good promos coming up this week. July 7th, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies will pay homage to Binghamton native Rod Serling, uh, the host of the Twilight Zone. They'll have a, uh, a night in the Twilight Zone theme night celebration. Um, if you want to feel really old, the New Orleans Baby Cakes will be holding a tribute to Titanic Night. That'll be Titanic the movie, which came out 20 years ago. Uh, the Rochester Red Wings this weekend will be honoring former minor leaguer and Rochester Red Wing Ron Shelton, who you may better know as the director of Bull Durham, who played with the Wings back in 1971. Uh, and there's a really cool promo on July 8th in Spokane. Spokane Indians, we've talked about multiple times, uh, have a relationship with the Spokane Indian tribe, and they are uh, kicking off an initiative called Red Band Rally, which references the Red Band Trout native to the Spokane River. And the rally, according to the team, is, quote, a promotional campaign that is designed to connect citizens to the Spokane River, educate about work to clean up the river, and support local organizations devoted to river protection. That campaign will include Red Band team uniforms, uh, which use the Salish language script, which is the local Spokane Indians, written language that the the team has partnered with they've devised a, a script for the team that's a really really cool promo yeah and uh honestly you know i, I got back to the office uh, on monday after my trip and was kind of behind the eight ball in many ways and and the two promos i was looking at uh 
featuring in the column were uh, you know the the Tommy John statue as well as this red band rally and uh, I put feelers out to each team and really I just happened to hear from Potomac first I really wanted to actually devote more to uh, Spokane and what they're doing with the red band rally partnering with local conservation organizations uh, doing so much uh, promotionally uh, throughout the season with these special red band rally dates uh, wearing these uniforms with the trout on the hats and uh, really doing something to celebrate and uh, promote um, the protection and preservation of something that's really uh, integral to their, to their uh, natural environment. It's a really cool promotion. A lot of good stuff coming up this week, and uh, you can check all that out and more at Promo Watch. What's the next road trip you got coming up, man? July 28th, I'm going to Binghamton. Man, it's going to be yeah. here in no time. It, it's I know, I know. And right now I'm trying to do larger blog posts of all the Pioneer League and Salt Lake uh, you know, teams that I visited, and um, still got at least four more features from that road trip. Going to be trying to do the promo columns every week, of course, appearing here every week and talking to you guys um it is peak minor league baseball season i mean for me but also for all of us so it's a lot of fun but it's hard keeping one's head above water these days you just gotta keep on uh, keep on keeping on keep treading keep don't, trucking don't sink don't keep trucking keep treading don't sink keep going whatever you want to put it let's just do our best to survive I think it's a good philosophy. Benjamin Hill, you can find all of his stuff, bensbiz.mlblogs.com, and more on the site, milb.com. You can find Ben on Twitter as well. He is at bensbiz there, and we'll do it again next week. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Thanks to Alex Verdugo of the Oklahoma City Dodgers and to Benjamin Hill as well. And we're going to wrap things up on episode number 117 of the show before the show. MILB.TV, you can catch minor league baseball all summer long. Short season leagues are now in action. we got a whole bunch more short season leagues with MILB TV broadcasts in 2017. And uh, every week we pick out a couple of games to keep an eye on uh, for the upcoming weekend. Mine... You won't. You'll have to hustle if you're uh, listening to us the day the podcast drops on Thursday. Uh, my recommendation is the AAA Colorado Springs Sky Sox, who are home hosting the Nashville Sounds, because Lewis Brinson, since he returned to the minor leagues from a stint with Milwaukee, has been tearing the cover off the ball. Three straight three RBI games as of last night, as of Tuesday night. We're recording this on Wednesday. Um, he has just been crushing the ball all over the place for that Oklahoma City team, or for that Colorado Springs team rather. That Sky Sox roster we've talked about so much this year. They're so loaded between Brinson and Ryan Cordell and Brett Phillips and all these guys. They're a very fun roster to watch. But catch them on Thursday because A, Lewis Brinson likely won't be with the team on Friday and Saturday getting ready for the Futures game on Sunday. And B, they're taking on Nashville, another loaded roster, ton of top prospects and really good talent on that Nashville squad as well. We've talked about them a bunch this season. Um, but again, anytime you tune into a game that features the the Nashville Sounds, you can see Renato Nunez and Matt Olson and now Joey Wendell and Yairo Munoz, guys who Munoz we've seen and talked about with AA uh, Midland in that organization. He's jumped up to that roster with a bunch of guys graduating in the major leagues with the A's organization, which we talked about last week. So not only Brinson, but a good matchup of two really talented teams in Colorado Springs on Thursday. Sam, your pick. Yeah, yeah. this one is a uh, – either way, I think you're going to be okay, but it, my my pick is coming on Friday. Uh, Lehigh Valley is playing Scranton-Wilkes-Barre, and the reason I choose Friday's game is there's the hope uh, that Scott Kingery and Reese Hoskins will have not left uh, quite yet for the Futures game. They are both – featuring in that uh, Team USA infield, uh, Hoskins at first, Kingery at second. Um, but the reason I say Friday is because Chance Adams is scheduled to pitch 
that night for the Rail Riders. Uh, Chance Adams has become a top 100 prospect, one of the most interesting arms in that Yankee system. Um, probably moves past James Caprillion, who is currently injured, uh, is out for the rest of the year. Maybe he's past Justice Sheffield. We can have that debate a different day. Uh, but he's posted a 2.39 ERA with 58 strikeouts and only 19 walks and 52 and a third, 52 and two thirds innings uh, since joining Scranton Wilkes-Barre. So even if if Hoskins and Kingery are there, that's great. That's going to be one of the most talented lineups Chance Adams has probably ever faced. If they're not, there's still pretty good chance that he'll see a good lineup with J.P. Crawford, who is getting much better. I will note he uh, hit two homers. Uh, when you're hearing this, he hit two homers on Tuesday, so it's yesterday for me. Uh, and he seems to be really coming along um, since missing time with a groin injury. Uh, you know, We had a story this week on how he, he thinks that time off kind of helped him, made him focus on his goals and focus on what he needed to do to improve offensively. Um, so Chance Adams versus J.P. Crawford would be good enough. Dylan Cousins will probably be in, in that lineup regardless. Um, so lots to see whether you know the Futures game affects Friday's game or not. So MILB.TV, go find uh, your favorite matchups for this coming up weekend. The uh, MLB All-Star Futures game, again, will be on MLB Network. And I believe simulcast on MLB.com. Don't quote me on it, uh, but I believe it'll be on MLB.com as well. Um, and following that, of course, everybody's fired up for the All-Star Legends and Celebrity Softball game, as always. Does everybody else have that? thing that where they always forget about it yeah totally totally i remember like when i was a kid it would show up at like three in the morning on espn two like two months after the all-star game you'd be like what is this oh right 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 (laughs) celebrities playing softball after the the futures game okay i just the editing of it is always hilarious (laughs) they're they're like yeah this game's happening live folks right you get it no no you just switch so many camera angles totally Oh, this guy, yeah, don't don't try to fool me. I know what's up. <laughs> so check all that stuff out on Sunday from Miami. Sam will be there. Follow Sam on Twitter for all the uh, the best from South Beach and Marlins Park. And uh, checking out the Futures game at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B, on Twitter. And that will do it for episode 117 of the show before the show. Get in touch with this podcast at MILB.com. Let us know your questions, your thoughts, your comments, and, uh, and we'll do our best to address those next episode or any other episode for the 2017 season. He's Sam. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.